Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Keeping the Faith, which came out in 2000 and stars Edward Norton, Ben Stiller, and Jenna Elfman. Allison. Yes. What were your predictions? I thought I was going to burp. It passed. Allison, what were your predictions? Uh, Don't rush me. I predicted that it would hold up both ways. What were your predictions? Similar. I didn't think it was going to be like some great feminist manifesto, but I didn't think it would be terribly offensive. And I did think it would still be a great movie. Um, okay. So what'd you like about this movie? I have a very distinct memory of going to village video when we were kids had to be in the year 2001. Um, and you and mom wanted to rent this and I threw a temper tantrum cause I didn't want to watch it. And then we watched it and I really liked it. And, and so, then I think you bought it and watched it all the time. So I would like to formally apologize for the temper tantrum my threw in Village Video. Um, may it rest in peace. Your village. temper tantrum <laughs> or, or Village Video. My both. <laughs> but I was specifically talking about Village Video. Yeah, I don't know like what in particular I like about this movie. I just think it's a sweet romantic comedy. The dialogue is really good. I love a movie. I said multiple times that I really love a movie um, with little to no action where it's just like great dialogue in a beautiful setting. And I feel like this movie is just like them walking around the most beautiful parts of New York and talking to each other in a funny and smart and sometimes profound way. And I enjoy that in a movie. Yeah, this script is um, very good. And the dialogue is great. And there's a lot of... um, I mean, there's obviously a plot and a storyline, but there's a lot of just like vignettes of people with really good chemistry who seem to like each other talking. And I really enjoy it. There were some scenes where I was like, is this necessary? And I was like, like to the story. And then I was like, I don't care. This story's very thin. <laughs> <laughs> the story could be, it's one of those movies where like the problem of the movie could be solved by just like anyone saying what they think and feel and no one does it for two hours. And who cares? Yeah. The story is, for those of you who have not seen it, Edward Norton, who also directed this movie, plays a priest and his childhood best friend is Ben Stiller, who is a rabbi. And their like best friend from middle school, Jenna Elfman, comes back to town, comes back to New York for work. And she's like a high powered business lady um, with crazy hours and lots of work. And... uh they she and ben stiller start a relationship and then edward norton falls in love with her but he's a priest and so it's like a a love triangle but you're never like rooting for edward norton right because jenna elfman and ben stiller are in love with each other right there's no unrequited except unless you're ed norton right a young handsome a very young like funny ed norton yeah yeah i miss a light ed norton what is he doing now brooding yeah he has a new movie coming out that's kind of controversial because someone died during the filming i think the specifics on what you're giving us is great thanks i should have done some research before i brought that up but you know you keep talking edward norton movie die (laughs) (laughs) oh it's just a lot of information on the hulk okay motherless brooklyn yes didn't that already come out? If it did, it was in theaters for 30 seconds. Motherless Brooklyn death. 
Production suspended on Motherless Brooklyn after firefighter death. Oh, Edward Norton's still hot. He, a firefighter died on Thursday night, March 22nd, battling a blaze on the Harlem set. He was separated from his crew and found unconscious after attempting to tackle the fire on a Class 5 films and uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. That's less interesting than I thought it was going to be. Allison, a man lost his life. I didn't say, like, it was less tragic than I thought it was going to be. I said <laughs> less interesting. <laughs> anyway, yes, that's what he's up to these days. So, and I don't think it's a comedy. So I miss, I miss like, a lighthearted Ed Norton. Because he's very funny. He yeah. has a natural comedic talent. All three of them, I feel like we know, like, we regard, at, we, as the world, not you and me, like, regards Edward Norton as a good actor and regards Ben Stiller as, like, a good comedian and a good comic. And we regard General Elf- Elfman as a Scientologist. But, like, all three of them are very good. Like, this is a well-acted movie. Yeah, I... Um, notice that in this viewing too. I mean, I think on some level I have always noticed that because I've always liked the movie. And so a big part of that is obviously good performances, but I specifically paid attention to their performances, particularly Jenna Elfman, because I feel like she gets put into a very particular hole oftentimes. And honestly, recently we haven't seen her do a whole lot. Um, she is a very good actor in this um and all three of them have very subtle performances i think sometimes ben stiller ends up in things where he has very broad performances and this is very subtle and very specific and there's a naturalness to all three of them um you know early on in the film before jenna elfman and and ben stiller's characters have hooked up and determine that they have feelings for each other. There's lots of moments where you see see that kind of budding. Mm-hmm. And it's quite natural and quite subtle. I know I've used that word like 14 times now. But it, it's just really nice. There's some really nice things in all of their performances. And I think I said this while we were watching it last night. There's a lot in it that... I think is incredibly well directed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you muted this movie, a lot of what's good about this movie is the dialogue. But if you muted this movie, it would still be pretty to watch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's hard when there's like not a ton of action. There's no big like set PC moments. There's like one running to the girl at the end of the movie. But other than that, there's not really sort of any bit. It's like people walking around New York and people at dinner yeah. and people talk. It's just people talking to each other. Yeah. And so it's hard to make a movie like that good at all. But it's particularly hard to make a movie like that visually appealing. Yeah. This this has a sort of love letter to New York in the same way that Nora Ephron's movies do. Right. Um, or even Woody Allen's movies. Um yeah, I was going to do we make Edward Norton the... Right, could Ed Norton just be like, like the takeover? new Woody Allen? Yeah. If we need like a white man making movies about New York, it could be yeah. Norton. Because he also, this is a movie that, this to me feels like a much more approachable version of a Woody Allen movie. 
it is because it's a movie oh, about love and really big questions about love and life and faith and the choices that we make, which are all sort of tenets of Woody Allen rom-coms, but in a much more grounded, approachable way than sort of these like esoteric existential Ailey is a huge Woody Allen fan. So she she is your face is right in front of my mic. Ailey, go lie down or you're gonna get kicked out and you're gonna have to go hang out with the babies. Is that what you want? Guys, she doesn't like the babies. <laughs> she is not a Carl from the book Carl. Um I don't know if it's because of who we now know Woody Allen to be, but I have a hard time watching his movies and liking the characters he plays. And again, that could be very loaded in, I don't like Woody Allen. But I also think there's a narcissism to most of his characters that makes it hard to root for. Like, I think often even when I was younger and would watch his movies, I... I'd be rooting for the women. You're rooting for Annie Hall. You're not necessarily rooting for him. Um, And in this movie, neither of the men are, like, they're both very good men. And they have their flaws and they have their problems. Um, Like, Edward Norton's character is sort of, not a pushover, but he's sort of like, gentle in a way that you know if you're gonna go after a girl which again like is not an option for him but it isn't what you want and ben stiller has a has a level of like selfishness and sort of the problems put on him by his community and, and being a rabbi his he his brother in the movie his brother and his mother no longer speak because his brother married a catholic girl so that is part of the conflict of him dating and falling in love with jenna elfman's character who is, she is implied to also have been raised Catholic, although doesn't seem to have any sort of existing religion. Um, But both of them are much easier to watch. I liked them. I wanted all three of those characters to win in a way that I I think it's sort of harder to watch. He has like, he like keeps his audience at arm's length because you have to be sort of, it's sort of like New York elitism. And part of what's interesting about this movie is like, yes, they're all sort of, Upper West Side style New Yorkers, but two of them are also men of the cloth. So there's a humanity and a humanness to them. Well, I think the other thing is that the sort of like big life questions or the um, life crises are spread out among the three main characters. So it's not like just Woody Allen trying to or your main character having these existential crises it's all three of them really kind of growing and trying to figure out who they are and where faith fits into their life yeah and it's not like how the women serves how jenna elfman's character serves either of them and figuring out that journey it's all three of their right she's sort of chosen a very career-driven high-powered career life and she then wonders if she made the right choices in a way that I think going into this movie as an adult, I wondered if that would be problematic and like, well, a woman chose her career. So she failed kind of way. And it didn't do that. It, she asked a lot of questions that I, as someone who has a career motivated life, ask myself and I, and it felt very real to 
Yeah, as we were starting the movie, I made two notes. I said, I wonder if we're going to follow into the cool girl trope. Which we do a little bit at the beginning. <laughs> which we do a little bit at the beginning, but we don't stay there very long. Um, And are we going to fall into the rom-com trope of the woman works a lot and she has to give up her career to find love? Which we don't ever really get an answer about, but a, but it's dealt with in a much more real way than I feel like rom-coms often do. Yeah. I think in your lesser rom-coms and your more tropey rom-coms, it's sort of like an all or nothing, you know, like she's a bitch and everyone hates her. It's the Sandra Bullock in The Proposal. She's the bitch and everyone hates her and she needs a man to soften her. Whereas this is not... These men are never softening Jenna Elfman. She herself is figuring out what are my priorities? How do I want to prioritize my life? Hey, look, I'm in my 30s. And and what are the choices I'm making? And she's portrayed as a well-liked person. At one right. point, Ben Stiller is with her at a work event and mentions how much it seems that all of the mostly men who work for and with her seem to like and respect her. Right. right. She's not sort of like a, she describes herself as ball busting, but she's not sort of like the she's bitch female boss. Every, right. She's not sort of one everyone hates. And it's also, she's, we're seeing the same questions be asked by Edward Norton's character, who, as he's falling in love with her, is wondering if he sh- should stay a priest or not. Right. And so he's also questioning the choices he made. And he has a conversation with his boss priest. Gary <laughs> <laughs> and I have no faith. We have no religion. He has a conversation with the other priest. His uh, mentor. His mentor. Um, who says to him, who's sort of talking about the times in his uh, life that he's been tested, that his sort of choice to become a priest has been tested. And he says, it doesn't matter what choice you make. Any any choice you make, there's going to be a sacrifice entailed. So whether you decide to become a priest or go after your career or decide to marry a woman, you You'd make that decision knowing that you're giving something else up. Yeah. And that conversation, I think, hits it most over the head. But there are lots of conversations throughout this movie that are sort of um, contemplations on love and faith and relationships, both platonic and not. And that was something I didn't catch when I watched this when I was younger I think for me younger this sort of came across as sort of a straight rom-com a will they won't they who will she end up with kind of movie yeah and now that I'm older and maybe because we were doing a closer watch of this movie there are some really interesting conversations that have nothing to do with you know straight romance in this and I think that um Particularly that conversation between Ed Norton and his mentor where it's he basically says commitment, no matter what you're committing to, is a choice. And it's a choice that you keep making over every every single day. You choose whether it's your partner or your job or your faith. You're choosing it every single day and you're choosing to make that commitment. Right. And um, I really like I mean, I just in general think that's an interesting conversation and a conversation worth having. And I also just love that message. It, um, 
it reminded me of the most recent episode of The Good Place where Ted Danson's character says that soulmates aren't real. Um, soulmates, well, and to the extent that soulmates are real, they're not found, they're made. You know, you you pick someone as your soulmate and you work at that relationship with them and you choose them every day. Um, and And similarly, that's sort of the message of this movie and I really like that. And I think that that is, again, unusual in your sort of lesser more tropey rom-coms yeah this has a this could have easily been made as i mean it the, a number of times is mentioned the joke of a priest and a rabbi it seems like this movie was conceived under like wouldn't it be funny a pre like let's take a priest and a rabbi joke and make it into a rom-com and i think there is a lesser way to have made this movie with just that and instead there's like a number of profound conversations one of the ones is i remember as a young watching the scene with edward norton and his mentor when he talks about someone saying to him if you're going to be a priest um you have to make absolutely sure there's nothing else you'd rather do because because it's the life of a priest is hard and if there's anything else you can see yourself doing you should do that and that's a piece of advice when i was a teenager and in college i was attempting to be an actor and that's a piece of advice they give to you as an actor. And I remember watching that scene and hearing that part and not the rest. And the rest of that scene is there are a million thing, other things you can do. It, the life of a priest is hard. The life of sort of any choice you make is hard. But that doesn't mean you can't see yourself doing other things. It means you you make a decision and you keep making that decision every day and now as an adult and as someone who has given up being an actor like that part it just hits it's one of those movies you can watch at different times in your life and take different things from it yeah well and i think the other thing that's interesting that i noticed i think the true like arc of edward norton's character is that he describes in the beginning he describes becoming a priest as a calling and then as he realizes that Oh, there, you know, there are other choices I could have made and been just as happy. I think part of what's coming out of that conversation is that, yes, you were called to do this work and yes, you're very good at this work. But again, a calling is, it's a version of a soulmate. It's, you know, like your soulmate job and you are making it your calling because you're working every day to be really good at it. And yes, it comes natural to you, but that doesn't mean there's not a million other things that would come natural to you as well. Right. And, and as you grow and learn and become some, you know, you can be called to do different things at different times in your life. I don't know. I just think this movie has a lot of, is a lot more interesting than, on like a first watch yeah or on a teenage watch yes but i also just think like like i catch new things when i watch mm-hmm. it the other like there's so many like good just per- they're like profound conversations but they somehow don't ever feel it's so well written that they don't ever feel like clunky or preachy or like here's the message of this movie they're people they're 30 year old people who've all made very specific choices and now are reckoning with those choices. And it felt very 
correct to what it's like to be a 30 year old person who's made specific choices and now is doing that. There's a conversation between Jenna Elfman and uh, Ben Stiller's mother, who's played by Anne Bancroft, where she's talking about her marriage. They're like looking at pictures of her wedding and she's talking about her marriage and the children she raised. And Anne Bancroft makes some comment like Jenna Elfman made it a different and equally there's never any like judgment from Anne Bancroft but like a different choice about her career and Jen Alfman says yes but you live your whole life thinking you want one thing and you go after those things and then you get them and then you wonder are the, did I go after the wrong things and it's just I I think it's just such a specific thing to sort of that age is like around 30 whatever you've decided whether you've decided to get married and have children or you've decided to go after a particular job around that age between like 28 and 35 you tend to get whatever it is you went after to some extent and then you have to decide like oh fuck did I did I make the wrong choices and it's sort of a nice thing to know it's like no matter which one you choose you're gonna wonder if it was right yeah and I think um I think that the reason this movie doesn't feel preachy in any way is because it it never seeks answers to those answers. Questions. It just poses questions and allows its characters to sort of explore those questions and make decisions that make sense for their characters. And there's a very like when char- when the characters make choices, they're very character driven mm-hmm. and you and there's enough development. The character development in this movie is really nicely done so that when their characters are making choices, you buy it. Yeah. But there's never, like you said, there's never any judgment. This movie is not ever making a judgment call on whether a certain faith is correct, whether how you practice your faith is correct. If you have a religion. She says at one point that she she asked Edward, Edward Norton if she has no spirit, if she has no faith. And so there's also no judgment on, like, if you are without specific religion, right. is that also wrong? It's, like, all three of those choices. And I imagine, should we have other characters of different faiths in it, there would be no judgment on that right. either. It's sort of, like, all these things are correct. It's just ways that guide you through life. It's not... Right. They're not posing any belief system as the doctrine by which you should live. And, the, and even, like, they're not... The movie doesn't make any judgments about, you know, prioritizing family or romantic relationships versus career or some combination of the two or you know it's it's really just sort of like these recitations on life yeah it's a philosophical rom-com yeah and and it's done quite well i think yeah because it's also very funny Yes. yes because in addition to all these like very serious conversations that they're having and that they're having in very natural ways, there's also a lot of jokes. And part of that is Ben Stiller is Ben Stiller. And even though he's not playing Derek Zoolander, he's still very funny. And there are times when he gets to be a little bit broader. There's like a scene when he's trying to get up to her office and the security guard is stopping him and he gets to sort of be Ben Stiller for a minute. Um, There's a scene where they're playing basketball and getting their asses kicked. I mean, so there's that, but then there's also just funny acting like Edward Norton plays drunk very well which isn't an easy thing to play um and he does it very funny and like you said it's all sort of like based in their character and based in what they want but the dialogue is also very funny and the scenes are also very funny and the characters are very funny 
Yeah, this movie is laugh out loud funny in a way I hadn't quite remembered. Yeah. And consistently, like, throughout the movie. And in a way, a lot of rom-coms aren't necessary. Like, we, I think we throw around the com part of rom-coms relatively loosely. Yeah. Um, There are jokes. And they're jokes driven from, like, Anne Bancroft's character is, like, a relatively stereotypical Jewish mother. But she's so specific and she's so, so it's very funny. Like, there's one part where she's in the hospital after having a minor stroke where she says... If uh, they leave, if they keep me in here two days, I'm going to give a him an ischemic, whatever I had. Now, bring me my computer. I have to get some emailing done. And it's like, yeah, that's hysterical because I know who this woman is. Right. Also, I feel like that my mother would ask for her computer because she would need to get some emailing done. There was some line. It wasn't that. There was some other line where I was like, this. she's so specifically a mom. Yeah. Like a, a mom of adult children. Because it was something like she pronounces something wrong or she's like, I don't even remember. But it was I felt like I could be having that conversation with my own mother. Um, plus, Anne Bancroft is just one of the greatest that ever lived. I mean, this supporting cast of this movie is one of the greatest we've ever seen. So it's like Edward Norton, Ben Stiller and Jen Elfin are the main characters. And then you have Anne Bancroft as his mother. Eli Wallach is the head rabbi. Ron Rifkin is like the president of the synagogue. Milos Forman is the head priest, as we've established. That's a real term, head priest. Um, I'm missing. Elisa Edelstein plays a date. Ben Stiller goes on. Um, Holland Taylor plays the mother of uh, a date. Ben Stiller goes on. Uh, Lisa Edelstein plays his date and sort of like a a Jewish-American princessy character, but who's obsessed with working out. And who also, uh, she like tries to force him up to her apartment at the end of the date. And I wrote down, Lisa, no means no. <laughs> the genders of that scene were flipped. It would be deeply problematic. Yeah. But also we're not asked to agree with her literally trying to pull him into her apartment when he's right. saying no. Right. Plus, she's not. we're not made to like her as a character. Right. No, she's there specifically to be funny, to show how hard it is for him to date. Um, because he has all the mothers in the temple sort of trying to set him up with their daughters. She also, there's an interesting, so she they're on this date and she's talking about how her head, this headband she's wearing was beaded by... Um, she says mentally retarded. Yes. We would not say that, but, but also like we have this conversation every episode. We're not asked to endorse her point of view on things. No, no. But I think, I think what they, the movie sets up that's interesting is, so she says like, oh, it's beaded by the mentally retarded. And, and she's saying it like, look what a good thing I did. Look at this like good thing I did. And then this homeless man walks by their table and asks for money and she hits him with her purse. (laughs) And, and it's a bit like it's just an interesting first of all, it develops her character very clearly mm-hmm. and tells us who she is. But then it also tells us who Ben Stiller is because he's turned off by that. Yes. And he I gives think, the homeless guy money and she just goes, you're throwing it down the toilet. He could spend it on booze. Right. And I think so it, de- it tells us who Ben Stiller is. And I think, it again, it's also setting up this sort of interesting question on, you know, how do you play out your faith in your everyday life? You know, Lisa Edelstein is supposed to be one of Ben Stiller's congregants. And do we see her living a life 
you know, a faithful life or a life for others and in a way that faith. Right. She wears this headband, beat it by the mentally retarded. They're heavily supervised, <laughs> but she can wear a headband. She cannot give money to a needy person asking for it right. because if it's affecting her life in any negative way, she wants no part of it. And it is an interesting sort of it. You're right. It establishes her character but also but we don't need her character deeply established she's gone in two scenes but it establishes him and i and i think they do that nicely with both him and edward norton there's a scene early on when they're sort of showing them becoming priests where he's in the hospital visiting a sick uh congregant and i had never noticed before but there's a man in a bed and a man sitting next to him and they're holding hands and it was i think because of the drama surrounding the catholic church we needed it established very quickly that edward norton was a catholic priest we would want to root for so he was he was going and sitting at the bedside of a gay catholic congregant and i mean there's not we're not getting into any sort of deep like conversations about you know pedophilia or gay bashing that the catholic church is known for but we do quickly establish him as a good person we see him counsel um, in confession, his um, congregants in a really sort of loving and gentle way. And again, in a non-judgmental way, like the, the teenage boy who comes to him and is talking about, you know, having like in, uh, impure thoughts about a woman. And he says, like, there's nothing wrong. We all have those thoughts. That's very natural. You know, he's not telling him to like shut down. Right. He's not telling him to say sexuality. three uh, Hail Marys and move on. Right. He's just saying like what we do with those thoughts is you know what's important yeah um and we see that with stiller's character too that there's this this real kind of i think that this movie i said it's a love letter to new york i think this movie also in a lot of ways is a love letter to faith and the power and the positive things that faith can do Mm -hmm. um when utilized for love instead of hate um and again, it's it's it in a lot of ways talks about f- faith, not religion. Like, yes, we're talking about two specific religions, but you could sub any religion into this and it could be true. Like two thirds of this movie is told in flashback of Edward Norton after having been rejected by Jenna Elfman and and he finds out about her and Ben Stiller's relationship gets wasted, goes to a bar, and then is counseled by the bartender, which is regularly used in rom-coms as, you know, or in all movies as the other form of a guide. And the bartender at one at one point admits that he's, I wrote it down, it's something like he's a, a Sikh Catholic Muslim with Jewish in-laws. And so he's sort of like a hodgepodge of all different faiths. He's like a Middle Eastern Sikh man who was given an Irish pub by his Irish nun grandmother, which has never explained how this Irish nun had children, but we won't get into it. And the idea is just that, like, this man clearly has no specific religion he follows, but he gives Edward Norton counsel and advice in the form of listening to him, being friendly with him, and then an Irish toast. Like, it's exploring the idea of faith through no particular faith or through no particular religion and therefore isn't alienating and we don't really have to wonder like oh is the negative parts that come with each of these religions we don't really have to wonder if they're going to play in at all because it's really just about 
how you use your faith. Eli Wallach is a Christmas rom-com star. He appears in two great rom-coms, this and The Holiday. Oh, yeah, he is in The Holiday, isn't he? He's the old man. Um, I also just think that we've talked about this a lot in the movies that we like, but so much of what works in this movie is the chemistry between the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the main three all have great chemistry with each other. I particularly love the relationship between Ed Norton and Ben Stiller. Um, there's there's a, a naturalness in their relationship that's like really kind of infectious. Like it just is really fun to watch them together. And it makes it easy to believe that these two very famous people were actually just childhood friends. Like right. you don't really question that. And I think we talked about this um, with particularly when Harry met Sally, but all of Nora Ephron's movies, that one thing that we don't see a lot in movies, particularly rom-coms, is intimate heterosexual male relationships. And um, Ephron does a nice job of writing men male friendships. And I think that this movie does that as well. There's there's an intimacy between them that's never questioned. There, there's It never has to be explained we never have to, you know, uh, reinforce their manlyhood or their heterosexuality or their masculinity. Um, and it is, for all, arguably the central relationship of this movie. Most of the last third of this film, because there are three central relationships we're concerned with, you have to have three separate apologies and reconciliations. And there's happens first which makes the most sense but but we care about that friendship and that relationship as much as we care about and as much as we care about the romantic relationship or edward norton and jenna elfman's i also noticed that in the third act of this film we don't see a lot of jenna elfman it is very much focused on stiller and norton a, figuring their shit out individually, but then also reconciling as friends. And as, and as much as I love the Jenna Elfman character and her story, th- there's something kind of interesting and different about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because About seeing just dudes. <laughs> in a rom-com, well, yes. I'm just making fun of you. In a rom-com. But, uh, but I just mean like, like focusing on this male-centered relationship and having it be central to this movie right. um where the romantic reconciliation is really kind of secondary or even tertiary well and you need their reconciliation to have the romantic right ben stiller is a proud character who is even after his mother sort of says like i made a mistake with your brother right. i i now don't know how to get myself out of it but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and love this woman because i made him you know fucked up with the last kid which is sort of a nice like letting him off the hook way out of it but but that is another nice conversation of her sort of saying like i screwed up you can i have to fix that you can go fix this but then it isn't until edward norton sort of helps him along and shows him how dumb he's being that he can then go you know make his big grand romantic gesture to jenna elfman so you need that relationship to you need the Ben Stiller, Edward Norton friendship 
to be fixed before anything else can happen because that's what's holding the story together right well and i also like that we fix that relationship yeah spend time fixing that relationship because i think there's a there's versions of this movie or this story where it's it's oftentimes two women fighting over a man um so we sort of have role reversal that anyway here but i think a lot of times in that version the women don't reconcile no they they let they let i mean the story is written such that the man destroys the friendship right um which is stupid <laughs> and unrealistic in a lot of ways i think but um i appreciate that that's not the case here i think that again it makes it a much more joyful movie a much more real movie a much more grounded movie or story because of that yes anything you didn't like about this movie truthfully no there's nothing like <laughs> no it's perfect we're out um i mean there's there's nothing like glaringly bad about this movie i did say like at one point we talked about this a little bit but so this is kind of a spoiler alert so if you don't Are, don't we always spoil them yeah i mean this is also a 20 year old movie so i feel like the statute of limitations on spoilers has expired but um, so, so a rom-com, so I think that maybe you can uh, guess how it ends. Well, okay, so whatever. Stop listening if you're really that concerned. But um, <laughs> but before you do, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Tell your friends. Okay, here we go. So it's revealed at the very end of the movie that Jen Elfman has been taking Judaism classes, and, and then the implication is that she's converting. And there's a point in the movie where Stiller is breaking up with her, and they're having a huge fight, knocked on drag out fight, because she's not Jewish and he's not willing to figure out what that means for his life and how complicated that could and risk be. his family and his right congregation and yeah. his congregation. Right. Um, I, again, that whole fight also poses an interesting question about like how do you define yourself and what defines you and um, because she says like what do you want you specifically and he says my congregation and my family are parts of who I am and again I just there's never any answer about or judgment about like which is the right or wrong way to approach that right but it it's again okay so side it's note, a good fight because he's no one's right no one's right and no one's wrong yeah um so anyway when we watched it last night, I said, like, why doesn't she just reveal to him that she's willing to convert? Like, this would be the moment to say, like, I'm willing to convert. On one hand, it feels like a kind of like a plot hole, because why wouldn't she just reveal to him that she's converting? But on the other hand, I think that her point is, like, I want you to pick me for me. Yeah. And, and I want you to acknowledge that just because I'm not Jewish doesn't mean I'm, like, devoid of values. Yeah, you mentioned as we were watching it that it was a plot hole plot hole and i didn't agree even then because a the point you just made but also like he had just she had just told him that she was thinking of not taking a job in california or not taking a promotion in california to stay in new york um put in for a transfer she's not quitting her job but to stay in new york and be with him and he sort of fumpers and and rejects her and i'm like i don't know that if i had just got rejected by someone that i double down with but i'm converting like I, I don't know. I believed her moves, okay. which were to take shots and go dance because she was embarrassed and pretend it didn't matter. It's a move I'm famous for. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's sort of she's sort of asking to be loved religion aside. And his point is sort of like, I'm a rabbi 
I can't, I can't put that stuff away. There is also, and they never mention this, but there is also the, if she didn't convert, their children could not be Jewish. And like, that is a complicated thing of like, can you have a rabbi with non-Jewish children? I mean, I'm sure that exists somewhere, but like it is, as much as you and I think sort of like, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll marry someone of whatever religion they are. I can see how that could be deeply problematic if you're a rabbi and you, a male rabbi, and you marry a non-Jewish woman. Well, sure. And just, I mean, given how much his faith is a part of his life, sort of aside from the fact that he's a rabbi, but it's it's clear throughout the movie that it is central to his family relationships. It's central to his professional relationships. It's central to his community. Yeah. Like, again, I think that that's why in that fight, it doesn't feel like any one person is is particularly right or particularly wrong. They both have valid arguments and they're both coming from valid real places. You know, she's saying like, you love me. I love you. You know, fuck all the rest. Right. And he's saying like that love is not always enough. You know, life is much more complicated than that. And again, I think that that is what makes this move. Those kinds of that kind of, you know, it's not black and white and it's not love conquers all. We're really kind of digging into bigger issues makes this a, a much more interesting rom-com than a lot of your sort yeah. of run-of-the-mill tropey rom-coms where it's just kind of like, oh, this couple will, f- you know, they they have a kiss at the end and they'll figure it all out later. This movie, like, they kind of figure it out. And then, and then they end up together, and it's co- and they have complicated conversations about it, right? And you don't get the impression that they're they're going to continue having a complicated right. life and relationship, and likely ultimately marriage. But that's okay, because as Milos Forman tells us, it's a choice you have to continue to make, right? Well, and I think like this cut, cu- this couple feels more real, and this couple feels we've talked in the past about like do we think this couple stays together i think yeah this couple this couple feels like they'd stay together because they feel real they feel like a couple that is you know life is they're gonna have to figure shit out yeah but it's not sort of like sandra bulk and ryan reynolds in the proposal where you're like really this couple do they stay together i don't think so we haven't done the proposal yet but when we do there we're just gonna be some fighting (laughs) (laughs) they do not stay together I mean, in real life, they didn't. They didn't date in real life. She dated Ryan Gosling, not Ryan Reynolds. It's okay, two men are interchangeable. <laughs> um, speaking of interchangeable white men, I and watching this movie because it falls to a lot of what movies in general and rom coms we do is that there's a overwhelming amount of white people were not asked to invest in any non heterosexual, non white people. But one of the things, which is, and this is a bar is on the floor kind of thing, but one of the things that I think it does slightly better than any other movie that has people of color just sort of there to have them is when they do show up, and it's not often, but when they... <laughs> I can't even, I mean, I can think of it's the handful. It's the security guard and the karaoke salesman. Don Rimes and some of some of the congregants and some of the congregants when they do show up, they're allowed to have more than 
there's never jokes at their expense, even when you think there is going to be when the karaoke salesman is sort of like an over the top stereotypical Asian joke. He then switches and he's clearly doing that because he thinks it's what sells and he's actually he's actually like a more layered character. than Right. So none of them are ever sort of they're not there pointlessly. It's not sort of there because they were trying to get they were sort of like, shit, this movie has so many white people. We got to throw some background actors in. They're allowed to be funny or they're allowed to be interesting or they're allowed to have slightly more layers than your typical. Well, and this movie doesn't ever punch down. There's no, like, jokes at anyone's expense. Right. Based on religion or race or sexuality or, you know, there's even, like, there's a scene where early on where young Ed Norton is buying coffee for sex workers and maybe drag queen sex workers transgender sex workers it's not clear but you it's not you just sort of see like a little blonde boy like bringing coffee to these sex workers yeah right it doesn't matter it's also not played as a joke you know what i mean no it's played as it's part of when he's talking about his calling that he always sort of wanted to help people right right and it's not the other and again like i don't know how you do this in a montage but there's no like savior aspect to it like he's just like he's there's no like I'm gonna save you from sex work. It's just like here, have a cup of coffee. Right. You know, like it's I don't know. It just again, this movie is very yeah. There's no judgment free in a way that was really kind of refreshing. Yeah. There's no implication that he's and again, it's in a montage. There's literally dialogue over that what we're watching, right. but there's no implication that he's doing it because they need to come back to cisgenderhood or need to come back to a quote unquote respectable job. They've just been working all night, and he thinks maybe they need a cup of coffee. Right. Um, yeah, it's – and again, like, if this movie were made today, I would hope that some of the more prominent characters were also non-white or non-straight or non-cis or any of the – any anything other than straight, white, cisgendered people. But it is done in a way where it at least feels a little bit better than – a lot of the other ones we've watched where it feels more judgmental or tokenistic. Did I just make up a word in tokenistic? Mm-hmm. Whatever. I think it sounded smart. like tokenism. I'm not sure this movie passes the Bechdel test. Mm. There's a part where she, where Jenna Elfman and Anne Bancroft are talking about their choices, but their choices related to work versus relationships. So it walks a line. It's also a very interesting conversation that I think is valid. So I think it's one of those movies where, like, I also love the conversation, the first conversation we see Anne Bancroft and Jenna Elfman and have. About their classes. Where they, yeah, and Jenna Elfman says, you know, what do you do when you're craving human companionship? You know, if you don't have a partner and you come home at the end of the day and you've got all this, like, great energy from work because work's gone really well, like... How do you channel that if you don't have a companion to, like, share that with? And and Bancroft says, like, do what men do. Take lovers. And then she says... Have more dates than Jake. And she says, when lovers bore as they as they will, essentially, which is a great line. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> then, then you supplement with classes. And there's just something really lovely about this conversation between this older woman and this younger woman about life and career and companionship and 
and this permission to, you know, be a sexual being and well, and they're take lovers. They're also as it were. two women who've made sort of the opposite choices, and partially because when Anne Bancroft was young, it was probably less of a choice. She got married, she had children, she raised those but I children. Think the implication is like she raised her children, divorced or he lost died. her husband, um, and then has a career. Yes, and like. So she's sort of, like, lived both lives. Well, and my point was, like, they maybe made the different choices, but their ultimate experiences are then the same. You then, you're sort of, as you grow and change, you still have to, your problems are still similar. So maybe it doesn't matter the choices you make. You make a choice. You hopefully make the one that's right for you. You commit to that. And then you're still going to run into the same problems. Yeah, the other thing that I just thought of, I didn't, make note of this when we were watching but talking about the Anne Bancroft Jenna Elfman conversation is the other thing that this movie does is that Jenna Elfman which I think this was kind of rare in rom-coms particularly 20 years ago Jenna Elfman talks about sex and liking sex and she it's not she is never regarded as She's never judged for that by the by the film or by any of the other characters in the film. She gets to be a sexual being and she gets to talk about it and she gets to talk about her sexuality. Yeah. And it's just accepted by everybody else. And it also does a thing to sort of offset the like powerful working woman can't find time for a relate like she might not have a relationship, but she's has a fulfilling sexual life. Right. But again, she's not judged for and also like, yes, she can be a powerful woman and also get laid as much as she wants. It, I think it did a nice thing to offset the sort of like this woman just needs to get laid and she'll be happy. It was like she was happy. Yeah, I think that's the other thing is like Jenna Elfman is not unhappy in her choices. She's just sort of like there's this other thing that I kind of want to. Well, and I think because their relationship starts out as a fling and then they fall in love, it's sort of like she's happy and then she falls in love. And so she has to make new decisions about her life based on then being in love. And it's not sort of like falling in love made her happy. If anything, it complicated her life. But it was sort of like, I have this new thing present. Now I have to make all my subsequent choices with that in play, too, when before I could just work, have sex, be happy. Right. It's just that as you grow up and you and different things happen to you and you make new choices, you have to adapt to those choices. Right. Oh, I think we should talk about the music because you claim this would be the best soundtrack which I totally disagree. I think the music is lovely. I think, I think it's one of the best. But I don't think it's... I don't think music plays as key, as central a role in this movie as in some of the other movies. All right, fine. I think I was specifically thinking about one Tom Waits song and one Elliot Smith song, which are really pretty. Also, the score is really pretty. Yeah, I think the music is really well done in this. Don't get me wrong, and you're right that the the use of Elliot Smith and Tom Waits is beautiful and well done. But I'm I'm not gonna say that this is the best soundtrack of any of the movies. Okay, we've fair watched. enough. I stand corrected. I maybe was corrected before we started recording, and then you just called me out. But it's fine. You just had babies, so <laughs> you're stressed. I know. I just wanted to make sure that we were totally transparent with our audience about about the dumb things I said. No, I think it was a worthwhile conversation. I thought you were going to fight me a little more. No, I think you're right. I just really like those two songs. That's fair. 
Um, and I'm going to get them back in my... I have this uh, soundtrack on CD as a child. But it, in full transparency, I also had the Bounce soundtrack on CD. So maybe don't trust me with the with things I've decided. You know what? I haven't seen that movie in over 15 years. I have no plans to ever watch it again. The music could be good. Probably not. Well, let's not get into it. We won't be watching Bounce next week. No, next week we will be watching... Well, okay, so first of all, I think our conclusions are this movie holds up. Yes, go watch it. Go watch it and, t- so and correct good. us if we're wrong, but it's really good. <laughs> I This is yes. one that I will continue to go back to to feel good. For sure. And, and, and to laugh. To feel good, to laugh, and to... I like, and again, part of this is that conversation she has with Anne Bancroft where she says, I worried I made all the wrong choices, is accurate to my current life and so I feel bet I'm leaving that moment now feeling better and being like oh I just have to keep not nothing is the right choice you just commit to- so anyway and I think that there's a lot of the sort of philosophical things where if you whatever wherever you are in your life you can watch it and walk away feeling a little better about there not being an answer yeah for sure um that's what faith is that's what faith is okay so next week we are watching or not next week in two weeks we're watching The Last Holiday because it'll be the Christmas season. Here it is, the Christmas season. So we're going to do a holiday movie. We're going to do The Last Holiday starring Queen Latifah. Um, Remember when Rebel Wilson, Wilson claimed that she was the first plus-size woman to be in a rom-com? It was like, excuse me, <laughs> Queen Latifah has feelings. Um, what are my predictions about The Last Holiday? Oh, that, but also then I was going to say, where can people find us on social media? Oh, I uh, have not seen I have not seen The Last Holiday fully in several years. I watched Star Twitch with Mom last year and fell asleep, not because the movie was bad, but I think just because I was tired. And I woke up and Mom loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> Mom then recounted what had happened in The Last Holiday for me. And honestly, that will hold up. <laughs> um, I I think it will. Yeah, I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago. Or I think probably when it came out. We saw it in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters. I think I saw it like on a Saturday afternoon on TV. Mom and I saw it in theaters. Um, So I honestly don't remember it well enough to have a prediction. It's Queen Latifah and LL Cool J. Ladies love him. It's right there in his name. So I think it's going to be good. We'll find out. Um, Okay, Allison, where can people find us? You can find us. On Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. And you can find us on Twitter at rocket underscore women. And you can find us on Facebook at rocket women, where you can tell us all the ways we are wrong. You can also, or right, you can, you can tell us nice things. Uh, Please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, Find us wherever you get your podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Mm Okay, bye.